Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Beth Paleo to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. So Beth, it's a pleasure to meet you today. Um, go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. All right, well, um, so I am in St. Charles, Illinois, which is a suburb that is outside of Chicago, um, about 45 minutes, an hour away. Okay. And so I started as a elementary school librarian. Well, I started as a teacher first. So I started as an elementary school teacher. Um, I taught for probably about three years in the classroom. And then the librarian that was at my school was going to be moving to Florida. Okay. So I had decided the year before that, that I was going to start my master's and I wanted it to be in something very purposeful. Okay. Wasn't sure what that was going to be. Um, but then I threw, and we have a consortium with National Lewis at the time. They don't have this program anymore, um, but it was great because you could get your master's and it would be a library endorsement at the same time. Okay. Uh, and so my master's was technically language and literacy, but with a media specialist endorsement attached to it. Okay. Uh, in Illinois, you have to take a content test. And okay. so basically, you know, depending on how you go in the content test, it's not as um, rigid as far as like you have to have an MLS. Um, but if you do have an MLS, like let's say you don't really have any teaching experience, if you pass that um, that board test, mm -hmm. then, you know, then that gets like grandfathered in with so many hours of educational, um, like hours of educational teaching kind of like instruction. Interesting. So, yeah, because I have, uh, so one of the librarians that works in my district, she was actually, she just has an MLS. She doesn't have like an educator's licensure yeah. um, with her, with her media specialist endorsement. So, um, yeah, so I started off as an elementary teacher, then I moved to the library, I did elementary um, library media LRC director, you call it like a 1000 things now right every I know it's it's so interesting how it changes. Um, so when I started was LRC director, and then I was there for six years, then there was an opening at the high school. Okay. And what was appealing to me about the high school was that it was we had two separate positions at the time. It's not like this anymore, but we had one position that was the LRC director media specialist or no LRC director. And then there was a separate position that was the media specialist. Oh, okay. So I was really drawn to that idea of, I could separate the technology piece and the librarianship piece. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling so overwhelmed at the elementary level at that time because um, Illinois had just instated this park testing, mandatory park testing um, stuff. And, you know, we had, there was just so much coming at us from the technology end. Um, our district was starting to look at one-to-one -one devices. And I was feeling so overwhelmed with trying to do all of the instructional technology, teaching PD for teachers, lessons for students and then incorporate anything that was of like a, anything of like a librarianship feel. We, yeah. you know, it was so hard with, I mean, digital citizenship, we had to get in, you know, all of those things. And I felt like I, I don't know, I was just so overwhelmed with everything that the library was. So to get to the high school was so much more appealing, like to think that, okay, I'll have this, you know, split kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That only lasted for about two years of me oh. being there. And then they merged those two positions into one. 
Okay. Oh, that's why on my, so like on my signature, on my email, it says LRC director slash media specialist, because I absorbed both of those positions together. (laughs) And, uh, and then the other, the, um, the other woman that was with me at the high school, she is now there still, but she is called instructional technology specialist. Okay. And is she in the media center or the library with you? Yes. So it's kind of interesting. We have two high schools in my district, one school, um, the instructional tech specialist has kind of like gone and done her own thing. She's not as associated with the library, but for us, um, it just kind of kept as its same piece. So our library is still the focus of, you know, everything that's related to Chromebook issues, cords, chargers, all that stuff. The library is still the first place for that. So it just seemed really natural and teachers were, you know, just kind of used to coming to the library for all of those things. Yeah. So it just naturally worked out, you know, to like have that that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I've been at the high school for six years. This is my sixth year there. And uh, it is it is a very wonderful experience for me just to be able to have started with my kids in elementary school because the elementary school I worked at first feeds into my high school. Oh, so I get to see yeah. the same kids that I had as kindergartners come to me and I want, get to watch them be freshmen and graduate. And that's it's exciting. lovely. Yeah. That's one thing I did love about elementary because that's my background, too, is that I got to be with them for so long. You know, yeah. you really watch them grow up, but I can't imagine having them come back, you know, again, yeah. that level. they're the same. It's so interesting to me, but yeah, they are very much like the same characteristics, the same way they were as littles yeah. is very interesting when they get to high school that neat. they kind of carry those with. Okay. That's great. That's a neat. Okay. So when you're thinking back, Beth, um, a lot of my audience is early career librarians and, you know, they're, it, it does their heart good to hear stories from veterans in the field. <laughs> But um, what what do you remember about your earliest years? When I first started, I remember it being, you know, just that learning curve Mm -hmm. of I wanted to learn everything that there was because I felt like I didn't know so much about where to start. Yeah. The librarian who left me the space had helped me the summer before, answered questions for me about, you know, just things like how to do purchase orders. I had no idea how to do help desk tickets to the, you know, IT department. I remember clearly my first night before starting my, my library position, I had like a dream where I was so worried, like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to know what to do. Someone's going to come ask me something and I'm not going to know. And I think it's important to think about that. Everybody is starting out, not knowing, and it's okay. And it's okay that then you find those answers and find those learnings. And it is amazing to me thinking about 10 years, you know, 11 years, oh my gosh, of change because when I first started, I didn't know as many outlets to go to, mm-hmm. like where I could go to find resources and help. Yes. Now it's like I'm on, so Knowledge Quest is huge for me. Like I use AASL for so much just to communicate with other librarians, get ideas from other places. Um networking, stuff like that. This podcast is amazing for that because you're going to hear, you know, what so many other people are doing, and then you're going to be able to take things from them. Um, And it seems like to the community of librarians is so open to helping each other. Um, I get emails from librarians all across the country all the time that just say, hey, you know, is it okay if I um, tweak this lesson that you had, or can I tweak something that you're doing for a book thing? And um, I don't know, I just think that's really, really kind of a great community in the way of sharing and so if you're worried about starting something or you feel like you're lost in starting new 
that there's so many resources out there to help you that I wish I would have, you know, went available to me at that time or that I wish I would have had. And, and Knowledge Plus is actually, you know, how I became familiar with you um, just from your writing. But in case the listeners aren't familiar with what we're talking about, could you describe um, that online site for them? Sure. So AASL is a part of ALA. So the American Library Association has all these kind of adjunct parts to it that you can join just specific to the grade level that you teach. So I'm also a member of YALSA, which is the Young Adult Library Association. Um, And then the AASL is the American Association of School Libraries. That covers everybody, whether you're elementary, middle, high. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is they have an academic journal called Knowledge Quest. And if you are a member, you get a subscription to that. And then I think it's quarterly. We get a magazine that'll just give you just up-to-the-date articles about what people are talking about, what's new. And then also you, um, they have a blog online that you can just, I mean, look and scroll through. And basically it's just bloggers. So I'm one of the bloggers. Mm-hmm. And each month we have a new kind of like a little corner where we talk about what we're doing new in our library, what's some new ideas that we're trying. Um, Sometimes it's things like pertinent issues, advocacy, things like that, current topics. So if you ever like just are kind of curious about like ideas or things that people are doing, I think that's a great resource um, for, for people to try out. And I'm pretty sure that part of it's free, right? Yes. Yes. The blog is free. You do not have to be a member to sign up for any of that. Yeah. And we we will link to that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to go check it out, um, they can get an idea. Um, They can search it themselves then. Um, So Beth, you know, you you mentioned how you wish earlier on, you know, that you had no more resources to go to, but is there anything else that really would have helped you when, when you're just starting out? I mean, I think my college prepared me for what it was going to be. But I think if I would have had more hours, like working in that, you know, kind of an environment, I think that would have been helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, If I would have known, you know, that it was okay to reach out to other librarians that were in my district, I felt like, you know, yes, I asked the person who I was taking over from, but if I would have asked even other people, I'm sure they would have been happy to have me. I think it's just that, that thought of, the community is welcoming. And if you ask, then people are most likely to say, sure, come on in. And then that will make you feel more confident too, because you've seen it done and you've kind of been immersed in that. For me, my certificate was, I think, 30 hours of observation. And then I had to do elementary, middle and high. So it was like so many hours in each section because my endorsement was um, K-12. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it feels uncomfortable at the beginning asking people, you know, if you can come in, yeah. but you're right. I really think of us as one of the most welcoming communities of, of all. So. Mm-hmm. I have felt like that really. I mean, and from coming from being a classroom teacher, yes, I had those same feelings like walking into my first, you know, classroom, but mm-hmm. think about how many teachers there are in a building. Yeah. So in elementary school, you have all these teachers you go to, you make friends with, you get connections with, you know, as you just be there. But yeah. in a school where you're a librarian, there's one, you right. know, sometimes you're lucky if you have two, yeah. but you really don't have that same connection of someone you can just go and ask across the hallway. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's a different kind of feel too. Yeah. Like being able to reach out because you kind of have to, because yeah, you're the one. Definitely. Most definitely. All right. So we're what into our fall year and things are going um, fairly smoothly, I'd say <laughs> overall, but, um, but what kind of things did you do coming into this fall that really helped it be like a great kickoff to the year or just a great, great fall? 
So this year, um, just uh, my library was closed all last year. So okay. entirely the whole year, we did not open um, because they needed our library for study hall space. So this year, it was a great way to just kind of kick it off like, okay, we're back open. Welcome. You can come in now. Uh, we've had a lot of um, library volunteers that we have never had before. So I've never had students um, just kind of approach me to say like, hey, I'd love to volunteer in here. Um, I'll do it during my study halls. I'll do it before and after school. So that's been really great. Um, I've loved that because it gives me a one-on-one -on -one connection with students, which I love. And then they like tell their friends, right? So that's always a great chain of, of communication, especially working with teens. If you can get, you know, some teens to buy in, then it goes a lot, uh, a lot smoother that way. Um, last year being closed, I had a chance to kind of reinvent my space. So that's been really cool this year to kind of see the kids interact with the space. Um, we have close to 20,000 books. And in that 20,000, I switched where my fiction and nonfiction were during the court, like during our closed time. Mm -hmm. And, um, just doing that has increased my circulation an insane amount, just bringing, because for some reason, I don't know why. And it's one of those things where it's like, you just have, you just do what has always been done. Yeah. But um, my fiction was always at the very back of my library and my nonfiction was at the front and, mm -hmm. you know, just being closed and having the time to think about it. I was like, let's just switch this. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it kind of paired together with the fact of my district was making it a mandate that we genreify. Oh. which I felt very, I felt, I felt two sides of it. One, I, I see how it has a really big purpose at more of an elementary level, because as an elementary librarian, I saw how that could fit, right? Because yeah. kids were always coming and saying to me, can I have a sports book? Can I have a dog book? I had a hard time kind of seeing where that might fit to me as a high school librarian, thinking about college readiness and things like that. Yeah. I, when we had to do it, I was like, okay, if I have to touch every single book and I have to sticker every single book and put it in a genre, then this is the time to switch my sections. And so it's been very cool to kind of see them, you know, see the space over again. So even if it's a senior, even if it's a junior, someone who's been in the library before, they're having that experience of like, oh, it's way different in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's been, that's been great. So I guess just like that fresh and kind of new feel for after yeah. being closed for a year has been a great start. And, so and I've never heard of a district mandate like that before. So wow. Wow. Yeah. Did, did you only do your fiction section with the genre? Yes. That's, okay. Yes. So there so, are some that go to nonfiction too. And like, you know, they'll They'll bring all the sports with a sports sticker, put it with the sports biographies and then put it that with the sports fiction books. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's. Whoa. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> no, we did not do that far. Okay. No. Okay. No, but fiction. I did the mandate. Yes. yes. Yeah. Wow. OK, so you, you that was neat that you had that you were able to take some of that pandemic time to do some things constructively, you know, not. Yeah, I never would have had time to do that otherwise oh, yeah. unless I came in and during the summer. Yeah, yeah. sure. And so what, what other kind of things would you say were kind of like your takeaways from the pandemic? Um, so the way that we used our makerspace was so much different. Um, I was worried about makerspace is kind of a, a bigger spot for us in our library. We have a lot of teachers who check out the space um, for a lot of like mostly crafting type projects, creating posters, um, diorama type stuff. We have a lot of like science department do things like creating planets, things like that. History department, we have a lot of things where they're creating um, 
you know, just like projects where they need like a physical build of something. But opening up after the pandemic, you know, there's a lot of things that we can't touch or have um, worried about that. Mm -hmm. So also to kind of taking into account some of the things, some of the SEL needs that I've seen with students that we've seen with students continuously post pandemic, um, especially at the high school level with teens, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, just, I would say, yeah, like traumatic kind of behaviors coming out in a lot of ways. Um, I created some craft bags. So that has kind of changed as far as like, they can't come in in color maybe as much as they need to, mm -hmm. but I have takeaway craft bags for them that they can um, just take and go with. They can take them home. They can sit in the library and do them. I've brought them down to students before. So if I have a teacher who says like, Hey, I have a kid who's having a hard day. This is not, um, they're not able to attend to mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. I will bring that down. So that's been really good. Um, that we've had a, you know, had to adjust from that really we're back to pretty much everything except for the things that would be like a, like a take and a touch all the time. Okay. Um, all of our other spaces are open. Yeah. But that's neat that you found a way to continue, you know, with your makerspace and continue supporting like even the SEL needs, like you were saying. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit more about um, just the kind of things that maybe you see at the high school as a librarian and and how that kind of has impacted your, your service. Yeah, so a lot of the what I focused on since I've been at the high school level has been a lot of social emotional um, trauma-informed care resilience work. Okay. So the first article that I wrote for um, Knowledge Quest that was like a big, was like my biggest one, mm -hmm. um, was all just focused on what we were going to do as a school to kind of talk about um, what trauma-informed care looks like for young adults and what does that look like in a school setting and how can we support that in the library. I started to look at what trauma-informed care work was as a building. We did this as an initiative. Okay. And right away, I was thinking this is the library is the focus of this. We are in the heart of the school. We see all kids. We have the opportunity to touch and see every kid. Like how can this not be a big part of this work? Yeah. So I took some of the things that we had talked about and then tried to incorporate those things into the library program and grow it over time. It started off with things that were like um, leniency and procedures. So when I first got to the library, the procedures were very rigid. Okay. Things were, um, you know, if you don't have your student ID, go away. Oh. If you um, don't have your Chromebook charged, then goodbye. Like things like that. So to kind of combat those barriers, because from what we know about trauma-informed care, all the research tells us that, you know, students who are dealing with a lot of these, any of these SEL needs, they're trying to get through the day. Mm -hmm. And so if we can kind of help them and support them by getting through the day, then they're going to be more susceptible to actually learn something rather than, you know, be so focused on what their outside turmoil is. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we decided to not make students give us a student ID to check out a book. I found even if I had students come and say, okay, well, yeah, I'll, or, you know, students would say, I'd take this, um, I'd hold your book till tomorrow, right? They'd never come back. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have to be in that right moment. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we um, look at their, you know, they tell us their number and then we can see through destiny, you know, the picture that matches it. We know right. it's that student. Um, also, I mean, I've always just felt as a librarian, my purpose is to, you know, give students access to information and give them access to books. And 
do I feel like, okay, a student's going to give me a wrong student ID number to take out a fiction book they need for, you know, sci-fi fantasy. Like I, you know, if they, if that's the case, then that student needs that book more than, you know, I needed to be upset or make that a rule at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, so we did things like that. We just started with small policy changes. Uh, we eliminated fines for overdue time. So if something is damaged or if something is like lost forever, then yes, I will still find a student for that. But if it's like an overdue thing, no, we waived those fines. Um, that was a really big stress reliever for a lot of students that are dealing with not even just financial troubles, but I mean, students that are dealing with, you know, all of these, again, all these outside issues that they bring into school with them, just taking that off their plate. Um, a lot of students, when they're having these kind of outside influences or things that going on, they are not going to remember that they had their library book due Friday or whatever they're thinking about when they're going to eat and where they're going to sleep and, you know, what's going on at home and surviving, right? So, um, yeah, we just kind of tried to think about those kind of policies and, and move forward from that. And then, yeah, th that's just kind of evolved over time. So now we do a lot of other SEL things that, um, like the calming craft bags, every month I have like an SEL center display that I do. Mm -hmm. So, um, like last month was LGBTQ plus history, um, before that, it was um, self-care. September is self-care month. Uh, this month, November is National Adoption Awareness Month. So we just try and take topics that, you know, students, again, too, that might not be books that they would go and look for or ask us for. Yeah. Um, that has been, yeah, that has been really good. So yeah, I would just say, you know, things that I've been working on, things that I've been focusing on the high school level have just been like, how do I kind of foster resilience in students? How do I get them to a place where they are able to learn and go through the day and be available for learning? Um, if I can help with that in any way, that's kind of where I've been. And was this a topic that came up just because of the pandemic or was this something your district or campus was already looking at? It was something that we were looking at prior to the pandemic. And then once the pandemic started, we took a pause yeah, right. We took a pause on that. And then as we came back, we realized it's more important than ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, when I look out at, at people who are having conferences and keynotes and things, you know, things with social emotional learning are just huge, you know, right now. And, but I think too, not even just for the kids, but for adults, you know, as we well. have to model that it is so important as teachers and librarians that we model that self-care yeah. Because if we don't, like, it just gives them so much more examples of like, okay, but see, this is an adult that's taking care of themselves in a positive way. Here's a great example. Mm -hmm. And here's an example of an adult that understands, you know, that like, this is how I am emotionally, or here's where I need to be met emotionally, and then gives me resources. I think over time, you know, think about when librarianship first came, right? We were thinking about how do we provide resources to the public? How do we give them um, information, access to information that they, you know, have continuously and without, um, without filter. Now, yes, we're providing resources, but the resources that I'm providing might change a bit. So now I'm providing them with, you know, ways to kind of understand themselves and take care of themselves, maybe not just, you know, academically, but also physically and emotionally and, you know, in all of those different cognitive, um, social, emotional ways, because yeah. if they're going to be successful, and they're going to be able to get through, you know, until adulthood in the best way they can, then that's all those parts have to be met, right? Yeah, definitely. So Beth, with this, with the trauma-informed care, 
um, and you, you talk about ways that you're doing things with the students has, and I, we mentioned the adults is, I'm just curious with your library, has there, has anything come into play with, with you supporting the adults any differently or in unique ways? I think it creates partnerships with the teachers in a lot of really great ways because you're going to see that the teachers will see you as a resource, not just for databases and, you know, for novels for their class or things like that. Um, they're going to see you as a resource that can help them with their students day to day when you need it, like in that way of um, like, hey, I have a student that's having a bad day. Can I send them up? Hey, I'm having a student that's having a bad day. Can you come down? Um, things like that. I feel like have really created a lot of really good supportive partnerships. Also, the fact that they see that you are receptive to all of these things can help with you getting all different kinds of customers that maybe you hadn't had before. That's true. That's a good yeah. one. All right. Okay. So for the listeners who are thinking, okay, I've barely been in the library. Um, what, how, what kind of things could I start doing as a, as a new librarian if they want to just like take a little baby steps in? I would say the first things to do would be take one charger from your back room, you know, from your back secure room and have it available for students to give you a student ID to check out and sit within the library table for, you know, a period when they're in study hall or whatever, so mm -hmm. they can charge their Chromebook. Okay. Um, just small steps like that, things you wouldn't have to spend any money on. Mm -hmm. um, I would say think about too in your makerspace section, if you have a makerspace, there's tons and tons of free um, adult coloring book pages that you can just, you know, copy for free and put them next to your colored pencils and make a little, you know, sign that says, you know, feeling stressed today, like color your stress away or, you know, something like that that's inviting for students that gives them an outlet um, and it didn't cost any money. You just kind of added it to your space. And that's kind of creating, you know, some of those resilient strategies just kind of into your library mm -hmm. right away. Mm -hmm. And I love to, I mean, even thinking about like our national library standards, you know, talking about us creating this safe environment, you know, this welcoming environment where, where everyone, you know, is welcome. And, and by you doing that kind of thing, uh, it's an invitation, you know, to come. I'm not turning you away. You know, I, I am here. So great. Love those simple ideas like that. Okay. So Beth, I know you, you said that that you do a lot of your learning, you know, online um, through like Knowledge Quest and different things like that. What other kind of ways do you get your inspiration to for library ideas or, or just professional ideas? I think, I mean, the more that you talk to other librarians and you kind of reach out to other people, whether it is um, joining something like ALA or AASL, um, or if it's things that are like, you know, committee work. Um, I do a lot of committee work. I am, so even if you're doing stuff on the state level versus the national level, you're gonna meet people that way as well. So um, I'm on our Illinois State Book Award, which is the Lincoln Award okay. for teens. Um, that's helpful because I've met so many people through that mm -hmm. and that's just volunteering your time. But at the same time, you're making, you know, all these connections with other people. Mm -hmm. um, and then through ALA, you know, you can do hundreds of committees, thousands of committees, whatever way you want to, and you meet um, other people through that way. But I know Twitter has a giant following. I know, you know, Instagram has a great, you know, place for people to connect as well. Mm -hmm. But you, you did bring up a good point by volunteering at the state and even the national level. When I think back to people that I still am in contact with, you know, almost 15, 20 years later, it's people that I, of course, people that I work with locally, but um, 
I really connected with some of those people because you're, you know, you're on a mission together, you're doing something together and you just build really good relationships. So, and, and they're, they're in my text messages, you know, all the time. So yeah, that's a good point. I'm, I'm volunteering to build those connections as well. So, okay. So Beth, uh, where will people be able to find you or how can they connect with you if they wanted to reach out to you with questions or just to learn from you? Yeah, so if um, you had any questions or you ever wanted to learn, you know, more about some of the things that I'm doing in my library, um, it's just elizabeth.paleo at d303.org. And um, yeah, and I will be happy to return any of your emails or questions that you have um, about any of the, the different things that I'm doing. Great. And so for the, the audience, if you'll visit laurashinneman.com and go to the blog, I'll have the show notes there and you'll find uh, the link to her Knowledge Quest author page. So you can see the things she's writing about. And we'll also have that email listed for you there. Um, but Beth, it's been great talking to you today. Thanks for sharing. I just, it's such a timely topic, you know, something that we've always needed, but especially now, you know, more than ever to, to be able to think about how our library um, plays into that kind of trauma-informed care, you know, like you were talking about. So thank you so much. And I look forward to learning more from you. So thanks for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Okay,